0: Know oh, how I earn a living? This shark will swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than three thousand bucks, chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Well, sure. We've got a problem on our hands on the fourth of July. Mr. Vaughn. Mr. Vaughn, I pulled a tooth the size of a
1: shot glass out of the wreck of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great wife. what? You're
0: going to need a bigger boat. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the match. Geographic.
1: It wasn't any propeller, It wasn't any coral reef, and it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a shark. I'll never put on a life jacket again. Welcome back to the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Thank you for tuning back in. Episode 25, we are here with Quint's fishing scene analysis. And we've been very busy here over at the Jaws Obsession. Never too busy for another episode of the Jaws Obsession. Is it possible to get inside the mind of Quint? And what was he doing? What is he thinking about during that iconic scene in Jaws? This is going to be a very involved episode, so let's just get right into it. And we have John Tedder back on the show with us to lend his expertise to Jaws once again. John, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, buddy. How are you?
1: I'm doing okay. I understand you're sitting in your Rockaway fighting chair for this interview. I am. Yes. We're going to do an expert analysis of the Quince fishing scene in Jaws. For everybody that doesn't know, uh, John Tedder, he has his Quince Shark and Shack shop over at Etsy.com. You just search Quince Shark and Shack at Etsy.com. And he's also rebuilding the Orca, full-scale Orca. Uh, you can go to his YouTube channel to watch that being done at youtube.com Orca Rebuild. For everyone that doesn't know, John is the technical advisor for the Book of Quint, and I consistently call him and bother him at all hours <laughs> uh, <laughs> through with, with text messages or phone calls. And I say, uh, just, just today, I said, uh, John, what's the... Uh, how big's the fuel tank on the Orca? Quick, I need to know how much it would cost to refuel the Orca back in 1952. And that's the type of questions John has to ponder, and then he responds with some information, and we go over what the price of diesel, a gallon of diesel fuel was back in 1952. So that's how technical we work together to bring some details out of the Book of Quint. So What I was doing the other day was we were talking on the phone. I had the the scene from Jaws pulled up, and I always had some questions that I was trying to get into Quint's head in this scene where he's in the fighting chair with his rod and reel. It's just after Cooper freaks out with the uh, scuba tank. That whole sequence that follows, there's a lot of technical things that happen in that scene that I've always wanted to know. And if we could just get to the technical aspect of... What kind of rod and reel is he using?
0: All right, so the rod that he's using in particular is a Fenwick Woodstream 670. It's a really, really well-built rod. It's real heavy-duty, and it's hard to bend one. It's really, really hard. Okay. And the reel he is using is a Penn Senator 16-aught reel.
1: Penn Senator 16-aught.
0: Yes, 16-aught. They made, 16-aught was the biggest one that they made. The next size down was a 14-aught, a 12-aught, a 10-aught. I know there was a 9-aught and it just went on
1: down the line. You're saying this is the biggest one that they made?
0: Yeah it's the biggest one. It basically had a four to one gear ratio with no high-end drag component and it was just metal on metal really with a little bit of two sides put together with poles going across and the sides were this really dense and thick plastic. It had a thousand yards of 130 pound monofilament line on it and the 16 out reel itself just weighs shy of 15 pounds. 15 pounds. And it's basically the size of a paint. It's basically the size of a
1: paint cam. So already we're dealing with oversized equipment because he's got a two to three ton shark. He's got a hook on this thing. There's a reason why I'm starting it a little early here.
0: Yes, yeah, real fine expensive gear you brought out here, Mr. Hooper. But I don't know what that bastard shark's going to do with it. might eat it, I suppose. Seen one eat a rocking chair one time. Hey, Chiefy. next time you just ask me which line to pull, right?
1: Okay, so in this sequence, we have, as he's talking to Chief, with his right hand, he's fiddling with the line. So the line is already cast out, and he's kind of tugging at it with his fingers. What exactly is Quint doing with his fingers. Why would he be tugging on that line?
0: One of several different reasons. It, it could just be uh, as simple as a nervous tick. Uh, it could be out of boredom. I watched my granddaddy do it several times when we'd go fishing, whether it was saltwater or not. But most likely what he's doing is he's, if you look at it, it's almost like he's thumbing a guitar string, so it's creating a vibration.
1: Okay. And
0: as, as we know, sharks are attracted to vibration. And he's also doing that, you're moving the bait
1: in the water. Really quick, let's just talk about the bait. He's actually cast out a line. The bait that he would be using, and I remember we talked about this, would be some sort of uh, big piece of meat. Maybe a cow's liver?
0: Yeah, you can use a cow's liver. Any sort of big chunk of meat. Yep. And plus they're chumming all around it too. So, you know, sharks would get brought in and they're looking for the big white shark so it's don't come in. I mean, it'll see a big piece of meat there.
1: Okay, and in order to cast this bait out, he would have just kind of sl- slopped it over to the su- over the stern, and you don't really kind of flip something that heavy, right? And you just kind of let it, you just pay out the line as the, as the current takes the orca forward?
0: Yeah, you can do it that way, or while you're going along at trawling speed, you can put it over the side and trawl along a few mm-hmm. hundred yards or however far, and do it that way
1: does he have a would he have a float of some sort that keeps the bait maybe like three four feet below the surface
0: yeah it would have had a, a rig on it when you're saltwater fishing you, it's not like you're out there bass fishing you have like a red and white bobber out there it's, it's not like that because with ocean waves the bobbers constantly going up and down and the wave might be a little bit bigger and go over it right he would have definitely had some lead weight on there and probably would have had something like a piece of foam, a piece of uh, something like similar, like in a life jacket. Yep. Be sure he knew where it was
1: at. So you could see it out there. You'd see where the bait was, but the bait does not drop all the way down. It's kind of suspended just below the surface. When you're marlin
0: fishing, of course, you're running stringers out on the side, also the riggers, but fishing for sharks, typically you're going to keep it somewhere between five to... Six feet below the surface. I know guys that have done it seven and eight feet below the surface. So a little, so about a little bit longer than your average, you know, door frame.
1: Okay. You know, the height of a door. One question before we proceed: the chum.
0: Yeah. So with any kind of animal fat or fat in general, right? When you grind it up and you put it in chum with, of course, he's got fish and everything else in there too. Yep. The oil is going to separate from the fat naturally. It's like when you cook bacon; it, it the oil separates from the fat. Yeah. And the oil will remain on top, and that's what is called your oil slick. And the rest of the blubber, it's gonna kind of float on top, or it'll stay suspended somewhere up under the water, just underneath the surface. Because see, when oil is released from fat, what happens is the fat is less dense, so it starts to absorb everything around it. It'll, it'll absorb blood. I mean, right? Water, and then it'll get it'll get heavy, and it'll it'll eventually sink.
1: Okay. So by grinding, so we do know that Quint was grinding a whale blubber as part of the chumming routine because we see the dead whale in the Quint Shark and Shack before they take off in the orca and there's a bloody grinder there. So what you're saying is that this, the slick was specifically made to stay on the surface and float. It doesn't sink, it stays right on the surface like an oil slick, it's like an, it's because it's whale oil. Correct.
0: little brown eel comes out of the cave. Ribs into the hole, comes out of the hole, goes back into the cave again. It's not too good, is it, Chief?
1: The realism is that the first knot that he's trying to teach Chief how to use is a bowline, and that's the most basic knot you can use when you're dealing in seamanship or any type of rigging is a bowline, and I like that. I I really always like that, and also we see Quint is fiddling with a package of saltine crackers or some sort of cracker and we went over that we went over that in uh, one of the earlier episodes the saltine cracker and what that means it goes to the next shot is where i paused it here is hooper is he's kind of messing with a uh, regulator valve for scuba mm-hmm. rig mm-hmm. and there's a bell on the mast right there mm-hmm. what is that bell what would that bell be used for
0: well it'd be just a typical regular bell i mean it it's there on deck i mean be used to you know if for some reason you had to run out of the pilot house to get another boat's attention like say your your horn wasn't working you have a bell there It's that's you know, great if I remember correctly uh, you, you're actually required to have a bell on board yes the Coast Guard if I remember correctly
1: so right now as it currently is Hooper is up on the flying bridge Quint is down in his fighting chair Brody is sitting over by the transom on the port side and he's trying to tie knots uh, trying to tie a bowline
0: well nothing's easy is it one more time
1: Okay, I'm going to pause it right there. What we have now is the first clicking sounds of the reel. At this point, what do you think the shark is doing? Do you think the shark kind of grazed it? Is nosing it the the bait?
0: Yeah, I think the shark's checking out to see exactly what it is because you know sharks of any kind, in order to identify something, they'll they'll bump it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it could be you know we don't actually see the bait itself because we don't know how big it is. The shark could simply just be you know giving something, mm-hmm. give it a test bite. You know, sharks will do that. You know, that's why you have a lot of Yep. Shark incidents with surfers and swimmers.
1: So yeah, so it, it's checking it out and it's given a couple of clicks because it, it could have even bumped it and then swam right by and the tail could have hit it again. And that caused these secondary clicks there. What So explain the gear ratio and is that reel already set on free spinning? Like is the gear released a neutral position?
0: Okay, so it's a four to one gear ratio. And like I said, it, it doesn't have high-end drag component. It's just metal on metal. And that's why when the reel screams as the shark takes off with it.
1: When you have the bait cast out, you don't mm-hmm. have it locked. You have it set so if something grabs it, it's going to run. Correct. Okay, my question is, is how does he know it's not a current or a wave that hit the bait or something like that? But Do those things pay out for when the current takes it or something like that? Do you know that? You know what I'm saying? I understand what you're
0: saying. The difference between a the current messing with the bait versus a big game fish taking the bait. Okay. The difference is the bait is just going to move with the current, and it'll move against it. And it's not going to pull on it. Not really. Not not to the extent to where it'd go. Tick 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 tick. Water's fluid, you know, and anything that goes through because you, you know, that like you see, like uh, the aerodynamic. Uh, car tests with yes. the, you know the air going over and everything. Yeah. Okay, so it's like that. So the bait is not necessarily in motion, but the water is, and you know according okay. to Newton, you know an object in motion stays in motion. So the water is just passing past the bait.
1: So bottom. what? How many pounds of pressure would it take to pull that? Just one click. Does it take actually some force to pull it?
0: There is a handle on the side, and it'll lock the reel, so that you can it'll cut the drag. So you can't pull it out anymore until you can start the reel. So you take that off and it will just free spool out. But to actually pull the line on it. Number one, it's a heavy-duty reel. It's heavy as it is. Mm-hmm. So the weight of the line plus the reel plus the weight, you're, you're talking about several pounds here of line. Ah. So the line is not just there at the back end of the orca. It's not just dropped down right behind, the, right behind the transom. It's out there. It's out there. You know, that's why there are a lot of times when – big game fish like say a marlin say the line snaps you know a lot of fishermen if they're inexperienced saltwater fishing you know they'll think that they're still reeling in the fish when in reality it's just the weight of the line
1: oh i see okay so you're fighting the weight of the line correct see that's that's interesting so he automatically knows that it's something that's got some force that just bumping the bait clicked this lo- this line so he goes there's something big down there and also, John, you do own, you own the same reel, correct? Correct, I
0: own two of them. <laughs> I own two 16-aughts, and I own a 14-aught, and a 12-aught, and I own a 10-aught.
1: Okay, so you you own three of them.
0: Yeah, fishing is my business.
1: That's right. <laughs> this is expert analysis, folks. We do not usually get this. This is uh, this is as close to having being in Quint's head as we're going to get. So let's continue on with the scene. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. What happens is is that he's hearing the clicks, he's feeling that, and he slips into this fighting harness, okay? The fighting harness, he slips in and goes over his shoulders. What is the function of that fighting harness?
0: Okay, so the function of, of the fighting harness is to anchor you to the real. So if you were just free-balling it in the fighting chair without a harness, you're going to kill your back. Because the way you fight big game fish is you want to time your pulls going back
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then going forward with the movement of the boat in the swells. That way you don't kill your back. If you watch some big game tournaments, you'll see some guys and they'll have their arm sticking out just reeling in the line and they get real tired real easy mm-hmm. because they're not doing it correctly. 'Cause they, they, they've not they number one, either they weren't taught or they don't know or it wasn't explained to them, which if you ever go deep sea fishing, it should be by the captain or one of the mates. Should be explained to you how to do this. So when you go to reel in, you never put your arm out. What you do, you lean forward because the closer your chest is to the reel, you can sit there and crank in three, four, or five hundred yards of line. More easily than you can if you're just straight back with your arm out. Makes sense.
1: Oh yeah, that makes sense. And we're we're gonna get into that more when he actually does it. But the but anchoring it to your body, which is Uh people think that's crazy. They're just like, oh my god, he could be pulled right overboard with the reel. Okay, but it's not really what it is. Is that he's anchoring it to his body to give himself uh, leverage in this fight? Is that yes?
0: That also yeah, and it also. Plays with the fighting chair too because he has his feet on the foot pedestal. Right. Okay. We'll get which is why it's called a fighting
1: chair. Right. 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 Okay. So the harness. Can he stand up with this harness on? Like, is he's not anchored to the chair? Correct.
0: Correct. He's not. He's
1: okay. Not hooked to the chair. So what he's going to do is he's actually now lifting the reel up, and he's going to be setting it into the chair, the the little holder in the center of the chair. But now he's actually reaching around, and he's clipping this harness that's around his, this body harness onto the actual reel. And now he puts his foot up on the fighting chair on the foot pedestal, foot uh, the footrest of the fighting chair. So now he's kind of positioning himself and he's sitting back. So I've seen guys stand up with big game fish where it's harnessed into them like the harness is, you know, almost like a belt in modern day mm-hmm. in modern day fishing but this is clearly he's he's looking for this is a bigger weight so he's got to sit back. He would never stand up with something like this, or would he?
0: No, no, not with something as big as this with smaller marlin you can stand up you can put uh one of the waist belts on where the butt end of the rod actually fits into a uh, a little tube holder and it looks like a groin cover when you put one on okay and sometimes you'll have a uh, a harness on to attach to that too with smaller big game fish yes you can stand up with something really really big like like this
1: no okay so let's talk about the fighting chair itself. The fighting chair is a Rockaway fighting chair.
0: Yeah, so it's made of teak and bronze, and it's solid bronze. All of it is. Bronze? And wow. It, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> bronze, and it's chrome-plated, and it is very heavy. It is not a light chair at all. Put together, it weighs right at 200 pounds. It's it's stout.
1: It's anchored to the deck, and mm-hmm. it's, it's stout, and it's heavy, so when he puts his feet up onto that pedestal, he's actually kind of holding, he's become part of the boat. Like he's sitting right. back, and now he's got the weight and the leverage of the boat that he's pull, that he's kind of holding himself against. So at this point, the shark will be pulling the boat. Is the theory of having that fighting chair is you're using the weight of the boat to help you reel the fish in?
0: Yeah, because it's just simple physics, because the chair is anchored to the deck of the boat, Yep. with you sitting in the chair... And the footrest, the foot pedestal, the arms that attach up under the chair, of course, are adjustable for however tall a person is. It's slightly angled. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect angle. I think chair companies have this down to a science. And it's angled at a certain position. And if you notice, when he puts his feet on the on the footrest where the tuna where the uh, tuna logo is, mm-hmm. it, it moves back and forth.
1: Okay. It pivots, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And that allows for when you going forward and coming back, you're 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 moving your heels and your legs and your feet and everything, you're gonna be moving. So it's simple physics. You're you've become, like you said, a part of the chair, a part of the boat. That's fantastic. So it's basically two points of anchoring. It's the chair, anchor one, and then your anchor two.
1: There you go. So okay, so he is fully prepared. He's become part of the boat. He's got everything harnessed in. He is fully ready and he's doing this very, very quietly and very softly because he doesn't want to disturb the bait. Like he doesn't want to shake the bait or he doesn't want to disturb it if the shark is coming back around. What What is the process of being so quiet?
0: Well, it's not really the process of being so quiet. It's the slowness of it that he does.
1: Is it possible that he doesn't want, if you know how sometimes you can like try to set the hook too early when the shark takes the bait. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does that mean the hook is set and the shark runs?
0: Yes. Okay. So when the shark runs with the bait and it has it and it's taken the bait, the bait itself and the hook is in the shark's mouth, but the hook is not yet set into the jaw of the shark, into the jowls of it, through its mouth. It's not yet. So when that happens, yeah, it's not yet so when you throw the lever on the side that I, that we were talking about a minute ago that stops the reel from going out and that jerks the line and the hook it back because it's forward motion again yep. it, it jerks it back and then the barb goes through the shark's mouth or any big game
1: fish. Okay this is that's great information right there that's going to come up in play later later on so let's continue on here
0: Hey! I got it!
1: so right there the shark hits the bait grabs it and then takes off but you're saying that the hook is not yet would not yet be set it's just running and then he says hooper reverse it now this is one of the things that i write about in the book of quint is that a lot of fishermen will reverse down in order to close the distance to the fish is that what he's talking about doing here
0: yes and it's so that quint can reel in more line faster mm-hmm. that way you can get to the fish faster but you don't have all that line to reel in you're just already there on the fish itself
1: okay there it is so he says it's taking a hell of a lot of line so it's a big fish that just it's a big shark that just hit the bait and it's running fast so he's saying reverse it to slow down the rate of that line paying out Right. okay let's continue this next part's really important get, get the scoop out the bucket. Okay, so he says, Chief, we got to wet the reel. You sent me some videos earlier, which we're going to post on our show notes, that reels will start to smoke in this situation. What would be, what actually starts to smoke? Is it the gearing inside the actual reel?
0: It's the metal is actually what it is. It's metal on metal, like I said. All right. So that's what is starting to smoke. It's not the line itself, because all it is is monofilament line. I'm not going to smoke. And it's metal against metal, like I said. So the water is there to cool off the reel itself. The
1: heat travels. You know, mm-hmm. It's not
0: that far of a distance. And it, it's creating heat, and it's metal on metal because you know, metal know, metal friction creates heat. And that's what's causing the smoke.
1: I see. All right. So that's why he's got to pour it on the reel so it cools off the reel, which could be the, that, that the metal underneath all that line is actually getting really hot.
0: Correct. And, you know, like, like we said, it's monofilament line mm-hmm. which is a form of plastic plastic and heat don't mix cuz it will
1: melt right okay it becomes weak and mm-hmm. and so he's still screaming for Hooper to back uh, reverse it and Hooper's obviously not going fast enough for him but that's what the whole point is is that he's trying to close the distance to the shark by reversing mm-hmm. it to slow the rate of that line paying out Ain't you watching it? So now the shark starts to run off to the port side and you see Quint's chair actually start to pivot. Um, and then he says, Hooper, you idiot, starboard, ain't you watching it? So he obviously wants to turn it to starboard so it can back down towards the shark. My, my question is, does that fighting chair lock? He's got it set into pivot. Does that fighting chair lock so it wouldn't pivot?
0: Yeah, you can, quote, lock it because... There's the pedestal that the chair sits on is nothing more than a giant tube. Think of it like one long bolt with a handle on the end of it. Mm -hmm. So you can tighten the base of the chair around the tube, the pedestal, Mm -hmm. and if you tighten it down enough, the chair won't move. But Mm -hmm. ideally, in a fighting chair, you want to be able to move with the fish when you have somebody up on the fly bridge now if you're just by yourself then follow well, I mean, you know, me lock it and you can control the situation
1: would you would he give a chance for the shark to wear itself out is that what you typically want to do is let it give out that burst of energy before setting the hook you
0: want to wear that you want to wear any big game fish down that way, you have more ease in reeling them in because the longer they run, you let them run. You know, Hooper's backing down on it, and you just want to wear the fish out.
1: Okay, so he says Hooper neutral, it shows a couple of shots of the orca, and now we go, now he has the fishing rod straight up in the air, and now he starts to crank. So can we say this is the point when he set the hook? Yes. Okay, so he decided, all right, the shark's ran enough. Now I'm going to set the hook. The momentum of the shark carries it forward. He tells Hooper to put it in neutral. So now he's using the weight of the orca, and the shark is pulling against the weight of the orca. That's why he said put it in neutral. Correct. Wow, this is cool. And so now what we see is now now he begins the cranking in and the reeling in of the shark. Where's
0: he going now? Oh, he ain't fooling me. What's he making out now? Go on, try it.
1: As you said, what Quint is doing, he's moving forward and he reels as he leans forward and then he slowly leans back and then he goes forward again. So he's in a process of reeling in the shark. Could you explain once again exactly the method that why does he lean forward and crank and then lean back? Why doesn't he crank all the time? Okay.
0: So what you do, you time your reeling and pulling back with the swell of the boat going up and down on the swells when the boat goes down you go down and you crank and when the boat goes up that's when you pull back because you're using the boat to help you pull back you don't want to fight it because you'll, you'll, you'll break your back doing it, and you're going to wear yourself out
1: wow Wow, so you use the momentum of the boat as it goes up and then it, yeah, so as the boat goes up you're using the momentum of the boat as it goes down, you lean forward and you crank. Yes. Wow, that's that's great. That's great. So this is this is an ultra this is why every fisherman that I've ever worked with from the coast guard to all through all through dive school, they always cite this scene as ultra realistic because of his motions and everything he's doing. My question is is as he's cranking in and he says where are you going? Where are you going now? He's talking. He's kind of talking to the shark. Do you think he's already sensing that this is not a normal shark? I think he
0: does. And what you do when you're fishing, you can tell immediately what the fish is doing by simply feeling the tension on the line. Okay. And when he says, "You know, what are you sneaking on now?" and he says, "Go on, try." it. Most likely, what the shark did was sound, which is dive. Because what sharks will do, and Marlin will do, they'll dive, and then they'll come back up. I think he is figuring out about this time that this is different. This is different from anything else he's probably ever done. And he's trying to, more or less, with any other fish or shark that he would have caught, is get inside the shark's mind and try to stay one step with it or one step ahead of it. Okay. By feeling the tension on the line and figuring out what it's doing
1: all oh, fantastic I don't know chief I don't know he's very smart very dumb he's got under he's got
0: under the boat I think he's got under the boat.
1: This was always very fascinating for me when I asked you this. There's a pause where he leans forward, and and his and Robert Shaw plays this so well because his eyes, everything is, is that he's, he's trying to think like the shark. He's trying to read what the shark is doing, and he says he's gone under the boat. What exactly did he sense with the line, or what did he hear that made him determine it's, it, the shark went under the boat?
0: What he would have fell went well, let's just back up just a couple of seconds. Okay. When he says, you know, Chief, I don't know if he's very smart or very dumb because he says that right after he leans forward and then goes back. Okay. And if, if you notice, it was a little bit easier for him to do that than it had been. And I think that's because the shark had sounded and then it had come back up. And I think that's why he said that. And then he reels in some more and then You know, he says, I think he's gone under the boat. I think he's gone under the boat. So the way he would know that would be, number one, the line would have come up under it. Now, it would have come up against the transom. And the reason he says, I think he's gone under the boat is because you can't discern when the line is up against the hull of a boat. You can't discern whether the tension is coming from the fish or whether it's coming from the line being caught against a propeller or a barnacle on the bottom of the boat. You can't tell at that point, because it, think of it like a, a bend in the line. Like if you take a corner, take a piece of string or something, that's what it would look like.
1: Right. It's bent so around. It's, right there. It's, it's bent around the, so it's gone under the boat. So it goes down the st- past the stern and it bends under the bottom of the boat. So he's actually going, the tension is too great. Or I can't read the tension. Is he hearing the line on the, the hull? Is he feeling the yeah, line?
0: You'd be able to, Oh, you definitely feel it, but you'd be able to, you'd be able to hear it. So go up against the bottom of the boat,
1: you'd so, be able to hear it. So that would be his realization at that point. He's he's actually hearing and feeling the line rub on the hull, and at that point, this was fascinating that you brought up earlier. the The big sharks they got big for a reason because they learned to right. out, outsmart the fishermen. So what would a shark do by going under the boat? How does the shark get the advantage over the fisherman?
0: Again, it's physics. Of course, sharks fish don't understand physics, but it, they have experience. So, yeah. <clears throat> by bending the line on the bottom of the boat, maybe that shark had been had been in that situation before, and it was able to snap the line by doing that. Maybe it was. Maybe it had been able to do that. Right. A, a lot of a lot of cases in my experience, I've always thought that's what that's what they were doing because they, it happened to them a few times. They learned if hey, if I go up under this thing that floats and, you know, stay up under here long enough and I fight it, it'll snap.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's also possible that by by coming underneath the boat, it actually relieves a little bit of tension on the line because now they're using the boat as leverage, like you said. So they kind of, they, they're, they're using the boat. They're kind of outsmarting the fishermen. And, and now a less experienced fisherman would just crank, 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 and then snap the line, right? Correct. Because it becomes too, it, it, it the strain is too much, and that's where you would just kind of. So, so at this point, he realizes that this shark is a smart shark. Then, right? He's not. It's, he goes. He's really smart. He's really dumb. Then he, then he goes. Whoa! This guy's pretty smart. He's gone under the boat.
0: Yeah, you see the realization in his face.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's too easy. He's a smart, big fish. He's gone under the boat. Keep it steady now. I got
0: something very big. I don't think so. Chief. Chief, put your gloves on. Put your gloves on, both of you.
1: Okay, two things. Does he say he's a smart, big fish? He's gone under the boat, or he's saying that I got him now because I know how to get out of this?
0: He's saying both, because when he says, you know, it's too easy, he's a smart, big fish. He's gone under the boat. All right. He realizes for certain that's what the, that's what the shark has done, mm-hmm. and Quint has more than likely been in this situation before, and he knows just enough how to, the right amount of reeling in the line, and if you listen, his, him reeling in, it's not like it sounds before. Where he's just cranking and cranking and cranking, it's it's slower.
1: Slower, as in, so he doesn't over crank.
0: Correct, and so he also doesn't run the risk of snapping a line.
1: All right. And now he says, "Put your gloves on, both of you." Will that line cut you with the tension and stuff like that if it if it snaps?
0: Oh yeah, if line. It's not so much that the line is sharp. That's that's not really what it is. But when you're going to pull in on the line to bring a big game fish up. You don't want to use your hands because the line will bite into your hand. Because number one, it's very thin. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the same concept of a uh, garrote rope, like you'd see like in the James Bond movies, okay. where you know it'd be like a line and have two sticks on in. You know, you choke somebody. It's it's like that principle. Okay. And when you have gloves on, you you're, you're not going to get cut.
1: Right. You're That's... not
0: going to run the risk of getting injured.
1: What is he thinking is going to happen right now that he tells them to get their gloves on both of you? Is it because he figures, I'm going to reel this up and we're going to have to hook the shark or like we're going to have to use uh, a boat hook? Does he think he's got the shark now? Why would he say, get get your gloves on both of you? Do you think that he's thinking that I can actually bring this up? Yeah,
0: I think that Clint thinks that he's definitely going to land the shark. I think that he thinks that he's done it. So when he tells them to put the gloves on, it's so they can grab the line and start help to pull it up because the the shark is right there. It's right there on the boat. So the idea would be to help pull it along. And once they finally get it to the surface, you know, they can dispatch the shark and however he wants to do it. Right. And then, you know, use the boom on the mast to take a larger hook, Okay. set into it, set into it, and then. Rig the shark up on the
1: side. Let's continue on, because this this next part, I've always had a question about this.
0: Getting ready to run out again. Hey, Quinn, let it go. Hey, Hooper. Maybe a big yahoo in the lab, but out here, just supercargo. If you don't want to backstroke home, you get down here. All right, you don't want to listen to me, don't listen to me. It's not a shark.
1: Hooper's a smart guy, all right? Hooper's seen a lot of uh, marine life. Why do you think Hooper thinks that it's not a shark? Is it because he's never seen a shark act smart like this?
0: I think that could be it. But I also think Hooper thinks that it's not the shark. It's not the shark like he says early in the film because it's too quick. And, and Hooper's line, that That's what I've always thought
1: that it was. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like it was too, it wasn't a lumbering. It really sped out really fast, that kind of quick?
0: Well, it was too, the whole process was too
1: quick. I see. Okay. Yeah. Like there was two. Yeah. You you, you brought him in awfully easy, and Quince mm-hmm. Quince muttering something along the lines of he's getting ready to go out again. So he, yeah,
0: fish. They'll they'll go for one last one last ditch effort to try to run one last time,
1: as they know that they're being uh, they're uh, they're almost surfaced. Yes. Wow. So they yeah. So he says he's getting going. So yeah. So he's actually experienced this before where the shark will try to do one last ditch effort. To make a run, wire's showing, the wire's showing. I'm buckling. He says the wire's showing, the wire's showing. That's the leader wire, correct? Correct. What is that wire for?
0: Okay, so the wire itself is what you use on shark fishing and big game fishing like marlin, like, like we previously discussed. The reason for that is shark teeth will cut through regular deep sea line fairly easy because, again, it is a form of plastic going through the leader, a wire leader on the hook. Nine times out of ten, a shark's not going be able, or a big marlin's not gonna be able to snap that line. And it's number twelve piano wire,
1: right? It's piano wire that Quint was using. That that was already, that's pretty much a, that was an established fact. So we know that it was it was absolute steel piano wire, right? Yes. That then goes to a little eyelet, and the eyelet is what's rigged to the fishing line. Okay, how much wire is between the hook? and where the fishing line's in. So when when Chief Brody says the wire's showing, the wire's showing, and you see that little eyelet show pop up, how much wire is there? So the shark is right there. What would be the distance where that shark was at that point?
0: I've seen leader wire be as much as 4 feet, 5 feet, 6 feet, 7 feet. I've even seen 8 feet.
1: Okay, so at the most, we're talking that shark, the, the shark was 8 feet below the boat. Exactly. It's right there. It's right there. That's so cool. The other side.
0: Grab the leader. Okay, take this rock. Hooper. Give the chief a hand, will you? Right.
1: Oh shit. He unbuckles himself, he unclips himself from the reel, and he hands the reel over to the chief who's struggling with it. And what is Hooper doing right now? Because Hooper doesn't need any direction. He says, Hooper, get the leader wire. So what is Hooper doing? He's going over and he's rigging something off to the little eyelet?
0: Yeah, so what he's doing is attaching a clip to the eyelet that has some form of either rope or Mm -hmm. string attached to it so that you can use that to pull back on and pull it in. Right. Because you're not trying to pull up. I mean, you're not going to be able to physically, say, pull eight feet of wire just straight up, hand over hand. You're not going to be able to. So what you do you pull, you attach to the leader wire and you pull backwards and you walk backwards with it and help pull it in. Make okay. Sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so uh, Quint bails out of the fighting chair cuz he says we got this thing. It's up at the surface. Mm-hmm. It's now it's only a matter of time. We're going to wear it out. It can't resist us forever. So now he climbs on the side of the orca and he's taking his harness off. and he reaches down, and he grabs this gigantic hook. What was he planning to do with that hook?
0: Well, it's a landing hook. It's so that after he dispatches the shark, he can rig it up to the boom and then attempt to pull it in, because he doesn't quite yet know how big the white shark is, but attempt to pull it up into the boat, or at least pull it somewhat up onto the side of the boat, and then take a tail rope and tie it off to one of the stern cleats, and then have it somewhat on the side of the boat. Yeah, go back on with
1: it. Right, so you would keep it on the side of the boat. Yeah, you would, you would, you would rig it to the side of the boat. So that's a that's called a landing hook that he grabs. Yes. Would you put that on a pole, or would you rig that to the boom, and it would be on a rig rope it to the boom? Rig, okay, so then you would use the leverage of your uh, your block and tackle to to yank it, yank on it. I see what you're saying. So that's a landing hook he's getting, and then he's moving back. And now we cut to Brody and Hooper are trying to secure the leader wire.
0: You're a stingray, but it's definitely a game sp- oh!
1: So what happened there?
0: So what happened there, the line snapped. The wire itself snapped.
1: The wire itself. The tension was released yeah. immediately. So the, the, the line snapped probably on one of the, it, it just, the, the shark's, teeth were able to sever the steel wire, relieve the tension, both of them go flying backwards. When I was younger, I always thought Hooper did something wrong, like he grabbed the wrong eyelet and he just kind of snapped it himself, but that Hooper did nothing wrong there. That was all the shark bit through that. Correct. Okay. I think this is always open-ended, was it the shark or not? When people watch this part of Jaws, who's right, Hooper or Quint? And this was, this, this was the line where a lot of people miss what Quint says here. Game and fish,
0: eh? Marlin, stingray, bit through this piano wire. Don't you tell me my business again.
1: What he says is game and fish, eh? Marlin, stingray, bit through this piano wire. What Quint's trying to show is there's no other game fish that would have bit through steel piano wire. Is that correct?
0: Correct. And you know, when he says bit through this piano wire, it's not a statement. It's a question. Right. It's a a statement in the form of a question rather, saying, like you just said, a tuna or swordfish stingray is not going to be able to bite through it.
1: In your opinion, was that the shark on the line?
0: Yes, because whenever the shark is around is when you hear the music. Okay. Whenever the shark is around. Right, right. Versus when earlier in the movie, during the fake cardboard, fin, okay, it's not there. The music is not there. Yeah. So whenever the music is there, the shark is there.
1: Yes. So, yes. So the music, we did hear the music when the, the clicking was going on. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's John Williams' hint that definitely that was the shark. So poor Hooper, he was in the wrong. We'll just close out with the rest of the scene here.
0: You get back on the bridge. Boy, that doesn't prove a damn thing. Well it proves one thing, Mr. Hooper. Proves that you wealthy college boys don't have the education enough to admit when you're wrong. What's the point? Hooks and lines. Well, you lose one, you rig one.
1: Chief Brody walks in and says, what's the point, hooks and lines? Quint comes up and says, you lose one and you rig one. Let's continue on really quick, really quick here. Because it
0: Twelve minutes south southeast now, full throttle! Aye aye, sir! Ar Jimboy, our See what I do, Chief, is I
1: trick him to the surface. And I jab at him. I'm not gonna haul him up like a lot of catfish. When he says I trick him to the surface and jab at him, what is he describing there? That says this I mean this was be prior sharks, prior to this massive white shark that he's gonna fight here.
0: Yeah, so what he's describing, and a lot of people overlook it, when he says, I jab at them, there is a form of almost
1: harpooning
0: without actually throwing a harpoon you would take. And you actually see them on the side of the orca, long wooden poles with a metal shaft on the end of it. It looks like a spike. And you would put this sharp tubing on the end of it that would have an eyelet on it, which is attached to some sort of line. Right. And maybe a big balloon or a little small barrel, a little keg. Mm-hmm. So it would be a form of, sword, they did it with sword fishing, they did it with marlin and tuna for a long time, and they did it with sharks. So for something smaller, Quint would maybe jab at it, finally wear it out one last time. If, say, one got off the line and broke the hook, mm-hmm. um, what what he's describing is an older form of, of what he eventually does with the barrels and the harping gun is what he's describing. Because it says a jab at him.
1: Yeah, he's saying with some of these sharks, you trick them to the surface, I'm not going to haul them up like a lot of catfish, right? So right. it's you, you can't just haul the fish up. You can't haul a shark up. you got to kind of trick them to the surface, jab at them, kill them while they're still in the water, and then bring them in while they're rigged to the side of your boat. Right. And that's where he's trying to describe to Chief because Chief goes, what's the point, hooks and lines? And the point is, is... And this is getting into the book of Quint, because when I had to process Quint's hunting technique, the whole part about the book of Quint is that there's many, many more sharks around Amity when Quint shows up. And Quint does so much hunting, he eradicates the shark, the large shark population of Amity. So now... In order to find the large sharks, now, as we see in Jaws, and this was in the 1950s and 1960s, so as we go to the 1970s, now he has to change his hunting technique where he has to start incorporating the rod and reel again. He's got to get them to find him, trick him to the surface, and then he can go about doing his routine. But it was a lot, his barrel and and jabbing and barrel routine, especially with the greener harpoon gun it was a lot easier back in the 50s when he first showed up because there was m- many more sharks to deal with and that's right. the that's the and that's where i really like this how this closes out because this kind of lets you know that he has changed his tactics over the years And he starts with one and he uses the rod and reel and then he has to go right to here. Once the shark is surfaced, now he's gonna go to jabbing at him and using the barrel technique. It's more in depth than people think.
0: Right. And if I may make an observation really quick, really quick, take a take one step back, back to the wire. You know, I've always saw the scene of the the wire snapping as their loss of control when it came to the opposing forces of nature because the snapping, the disconnecting of the wire, is their last link to what came before, and everything after is a descent to the unknown.
1: Oh, that's great. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's why we say Jaws is the greatest movie of all times because the layers in Jaws. When you actually peel back that onion, you actually see there's more and more layers of thought going on in all these different sequences. So, John, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, this has been a little lengthy of an interview, but I think our uh, I think the listeners are going to enjoy it. I think this is this I've always wanted to get to this and actually get this down and um, and get into Quint's head. And thank you for helping us do that.
0: Uh, you're welcome. Always love coming
1: on. All right, we'll have you back soon. All righty, thank you. Some final thoughts before we close the show out. So what we witnessed is we saw that Quint hooked a record 25-foot, 3-ton Great White, and he had the shark up against the boat in this sequence. If you look at it in the Jaws universe lens, if if you expand out after Jaws ends, and we all know the ending, but if you look at it years later, Hooper would have had the ultimate respect and admiration for this man who was the only one in the world that could have drawn out a great white that size and had the courage to fight it at the time. Quint saved many lives that summer of 1974 by risking and ultimately sacrificing his life. The motivation to do that, it just doesn't come from a $10,000 reward. There was a lifetime of loss in his life that forged Quint into the man that we meet in 1974 Amity Island. And it is that lifetime that we are exploring and bringing to the world with the book of Quint. It is my hope that scenes like we just went over will have a whole new meaning after you know the backstory and you watch this scene again. The motivations and the understandings and the appreciations that happen, not just during the scene, but afterwards, years later, and what it took to get Quint into a position where he's able to do this, one of the only people in the world that was able to do this with a 25-foot, 3-ton great white shark, it becomes a more complete picture and that's just what we're hoping to do here with The Jaws Obsession. Thank you very much for listening. Show me the way to go. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. Special thanks to John Tedder for once again coming on the show. Uh, Please follow the links in the description below on this uh, podcast, on the platform, whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, You can visit his Orca Rebuild project and uh, Quince Sharkenshack over at Etsy.com. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. The copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The, mater- the materials used here are protected by the Fair Use Guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. You, if you liked this episode and you want to help us push it out to more JAWS fans, please give us a good review, maybe five stars, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or whatever your preferred listening platform of choice is. Every review counts, so don't forget to leave that good review. You can visit us at jawsob.com, bookofquint.com. You can write to us here at jawsob2025 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, farewell and adieu. Show me the way to go home.
0: Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I wanna go to bed.